Okay. As you can see. Huh? Yeah, you can tell. What time is it now? Oh, that's a pretty good start. Tell me about 10.15. That's just a, a progress check. <clears throat> okay. Okay, as you can see, it's not quite the regular part. It's like an expansion. I thought I'd expand one part of the book. And since we're called Water of Life, <clears throat> I called it Water of Life. So this is part of, a, part of a course I teach on this. So I have 30 hours. <clears throat> So what have we done? We've done six, and they haven't all been on the geography. So I have 30 hours on geography, 30 hours on Jerusalem. So you'll see a little bit more about the water, which is quite an issue in a lot of ways for them, aside from the fact that our life depends on it. So we'll look at the water systems in Israel. More sophisticated than we might think, although what the rich had and the poor had, as always, is different. Many people just had... a a well, dig down as far as they could and hope they'd have enough water. And it's a very special problem in Israel. So the water comes from springs, first of all, but they had to do a lot to get it. The Bible says this will be a different land. It's not going to be like Egypt, which is watered by the Nile. We were on a tour in Egypt once with a bunch of Israelis, and they said, what would we do if we had this? And the Egyptians, you know, were wasting a lot of it, and their agriculture was quite primitive. They said, if we had one-tenth of this, what would we do with it? So they were very envious. And the Bible says, not watered by rivers. And here they had the Nile flood. They had little canals. The Bible refers to watering your field by foot. What does that mean? You've got these furrows. And when you have water, you'd go and kick with your foot and let the water run through. Well, in Israel, they couldn't do that. They really have no rivers useful for irrigation. You say, well, what about the Jordan? Down at the bottom of a canyon. Couldn't pump it up, and everything around it was, was desert. So not watered by rivers. And that was, in a way, good. Why was it good? In Egypt, all you had to do was wait for the Nile flood to come every year. In Israel, you had to trust in the Lord for rain. They were between hostile nations. They had two great tests of their faith, to trust the Lord to help you against the other nations and to provide the rain when you need it. And you need rain in October and you need rain in March. And I'll explain that more in a minute. So it depends on the rain in season. Which city do you think gets the most rain, London or Jerusalem? Most people would say London. Actually, they get the same. Except London gets 300 days of rain and Jerusalem gets 70. <laughs> but, but they get, they get yeah, they get uh, some downpours in February. When we lived there, it rained 23 days in February. It never rains at all in June, July, and August. So you gotta, all summer, you've got to live on the February rain through June, July, and August. So how are you going to get the February rain to June, July, and August? It also snowed seven times we were there. And a lot of the rains were real downpours. I worked mainly on the Mount of Olives at one campus, and there was a bus that went direct from there 
to where I lived, west of Jerusalem, but there was a valley in between. Some days I couldn't take that bus because there was so much water that would have swept me away running through that gully, and then most times this is dry as bone, so it's quite uh, dramatic. So they need an early rain. The early rain comes in October. That's what starts the grain. The grain grows during the winter. The fruits grow during the summer, and you can you know, pour water on your grapevine. You need rain in March. Otherwise, you got some nice stalks, but the, the grain isn't all going to fill out. That's why in the Bible so often talks about depending on the former and latter or the early and later rains. So the early rain is in the fall. That's a festival, the end of the grape harvest. And then around the time of Pentecost and Passover are the spring rain. So June, July, and August. Some tour companies will say if you take a tour to Israel in June, July, or August and it rains, they'll give you a free trip. I was there in the Ezreelan Valley. You know, there is some dew, and it looks a little bit hazy. And I got hit with one drop, and I showed it to the guy. No, no, no. You, that, you probably spit on your hand or something. No, no, no. So I, I, was, I was hit by one drop of rain in the summer, and that is all. So depend on rain and season. Who is the guy in charge of rain? Well, our, our answer is obvious. The Lord. What was their answer? Baal. That's why they were worshiping Baal. Baal was the thunder and rain god. So they said, well, we'll go and worship Baal and we'll get more rain. Um, would the Lord tell Elijah? Uh, I don't think so. <laughs> I don't think so. And so what did God send? The punishment fits the crime. Worship Baal, no rain. When they killed the priest of Baal, what happened? It rained. <laughs> so it actually plays, plays quite a bit into the story. This is the rain chart. As you go farther south, you get less rain. If you go inland, you get less rain. As you go higher up, you get more rain. So the only place there's much rain is at the 600. This is metric measurements. But you can see the rain chart. The blue is when there's rain. And you see, occasionally you can get some rain in May. We had a, one pretty good rainstorm in May. But usually from May through September, there's no rain. June, July, and August pretty sure there's no rain. Where does the Jordan come from? It comes from the snows of Mount Hermon. Irene, of course, went to Hebrew class, so she wouldn't be too bored while Paul and I were at school. Her field trip went up there. They had 27 feet of snow on the top of Mount Hermon. So the Jordan River, when Joshua tried to cross in spring, you wouldn't be able to make it. In the summer, you can summer you can just wade, wade across and there were places where there were four 27 feet was a bit more what I didn't same way as February yeah so this is the only really dependable functioning ski resort in Israel but it will snow in Jerusalem but the snow in Jerusalem is kind of like the Thanksgiving snow here you may get a deep wet snow but it's gone in a day or two so, as I said, it snowed seven times. Uh, when, well, you'll see a picture later of a winter day where we drove through snow at Bethlehem. So it may, it's possible what the hymn says, the snow lay on the ground when Jesus Christ is born. People always laugh at that, but it's quite possible. They feed the Jordan, but in the Jordan Valley, 
once you get below the Sea of Galilee, there's almost no rain. There are springs. Jericho is an oasis. Seasonal streams give green pastures. Those shepherd boys like David. This is near where David was with his flock. The hills are much eroded because the terraces were destroyed. And so you get seasonal streams. And now the shepherds move from place to place like they do a lot of places trying to follow where the rain is. Some places you can go in the winter. Some places you can't. And oases. This is the stream that comes down to Jericho. This is the water that runs down from Jerusalem. Already the ancient people understood that if they built dams or if they built terraces, so the rain now goes away. That's the problem they have in California. They haven't built enough dams. So they're wasting all this snow that they have right now, wasting a lot of the snow. And so you have terraces. So the rain sits in this terrace, it soaks down, soaks down, soaks down. And so they were capturing the water and using it. So even in the desert, you'll have some rain. Springs give oases. This is a very beautiful one. I wish we had time for the whole story. This is En Gedi, where David went when he fled from Saul. And there's all these springs coming out from the mountain. What makes a spring? The water falls on the ground. It soaks down, soaks down, soaks down, soaks down. All of a sudden, it hits a hard layer of rock. It follows the hard layer of rock, and it comes out into the valley, like what you'd have at Jericho. So that's, a spring is where the water actually flows out. When you have to dig down to get to the water, that's the water table. So are you looking at water from flow or from the water table? So this is really beautiful. David and his men must have liked it. It's very desert, and you have to climb about 2,000 feet to get to the top. No, not quite that far, 1,200 feet to get to the top. So you climb a little ways, you jump in a pool, and you get all wet. This was their form of air conditioning. And then you get out, and you hike a little more. And by the time you get to the next pool, your shirt's dry. Because the dry air has sucked all the water out of your shirt. But it's like a vent. It's cooling you off. So you keep jumping in the pools. I'm sure David and his men must have done that. You can draw water from a very simple well. If you think of the wells in the Old Testament, it's like this. You drop your bucket down. This way of life has pretty much disappeared in the last 40 years. But 50 years or so ago, you would still see people doing that. One Israeli said, of all of my British friends, you know, the British Empire did a few dirty deals to get there after World War I. And he said, to my friends in the UK, not everything you guys did was bad. <laughs> he said, you brought us from the 15th century to the 20th century in 40 years. So you don't see this much anymore. But just 50 years ago, you still would see it. Here's an old traditional well down in the Negev. The Negev is the dry south. A lot of ropes have gone over there. You can see the the ropes from trying to pull the water up. More elaborate wells. And the thing is about the good thing about these, if it was downhill, you, all the rainwater could also run in there. You know, it would start pretty full by the end of the season. So this is a, a more elaborate well. Beersheba is a city in the south, the big city today. It's where 
Abraham was, and the traditional well of Abraham was there, although it's clear the patriarchs had different wells, different places. Because remember, the Philistines got in a fight with Isaac's guys because they all claimed they owned the wells. And so you had to try to find the well. So this is at Beersheba, Beersheba. Abraham's well, it really isn't. It's much later. But it's supposedly where his, one of his wells was. This is a Turkish well. And you see you've got the water wheel there. You can see that this is actually winter when it is the rainy season there and the negative grass can get green. You can tell that it's winter because the lady is wearing her winter gear. <coughs> and on this trip, we pass through snow at Bethlehem and Hebron. And then when you get down to Beersheba, it's lower down, so there's no, no snow. The guy is not actually wearing his Shoreland shirt. He's wearing his Pittsburgh Steeler oh. shirt. So he's prepared for, with his Pittsburgh Steeler shirt. We don't know that in Israel that they really did this. In Egypt, you can still see this. In Egypt, too, this way is sort of dying out. So if you don't want to lug the water up yourself, you can have a wheel, or you can have your kids do it. You don't own, you don't own an ox. Kids used to have to go out and pump, pump the water and bring it in. So this is a way of pumping it. Egypt, you see, is extremely flat in the delta. Mary's well, again, nothing to do with Mary, other than that Mary lived there. This is much later built. Quite possibly, it's Mary's well, because the springs don't usually change that much because they're dictated by the geography. So in a little town like Nazareth, there probably was one place where you had the good springs that you went for water. So this is an old picture from Nazareth. Now we'll talk about more elaborate water systems. So hopefully you could just walk out and you had a well and pull it up. You, you could get it. But they had to do more than that. And so we're going to talk about some of the ways that they did this. And I'll show you in more detail as we go along. You could dig a big well with steps down, like the Gibeon pool, until you hit the water table. You could tunnel down to there, into the springs. You could either dig down until you hit the water table, or if you knew where the spring was, you see there the spring is outside Jerusalem, water chamber. We'll look at that in more detail. And you've got to have a tunnel to get down there. You see the city wall. If you could find a water table inside the city, you could go to it. Why did they have to tunnel way down there? Why didn't they just walk down there and get it? Well, that's okay until the Assyrians come. <coughs> and they, they either poison the water or they use the water themselves. And so you have to find a way to get the water into the city maybe more convenient in regular times, but so that when war comes, you can get it. So the, you'll start inside the wall, and you'll go out till you get to the water place. I'll look at each one of these, but there are simple ways to do it. You can just walk out and get the water, dig a really big hole in the ground, tunnel to the water table, the groundwater, tunnel to the water source, or make a kind of complicated system. Walk out and get the water. We don't have to talk about that one too much. It's the simple one. It's no big problem for me. 
we, in some of the gospel stories, we do find guys carrying the water, but most of the stories, it was the young ladies that were going to get the water, or the kids. So it's down 150 feet, so what? I'm not carrying it. <laughs> so we, if you had to start when you were six or when you were five, when you were eligible to become a water hauler, I suppose it depended on the case. So you just walk out to the spring and get the water, carry it up. You wanted to be on top of the hill for safety, but you see that's a real problem. You wanted to be on top of the hill for safety, but you didn't like walking down to the water every day either. So you had a little bit of a dilemma. Dig a big hole in the ground. So you could only do that if there was a water table. From where the springs are, you might be able to guess. Well, here you see the water table is below the valley. So you're going to have to dig quite deep to get down there. Tunnel to the water table. There's places where you can go through these tunnels. The main ones, we'll see them a little bit, are Megiddo, which is near on the coast, and Hatsor, which is near the Sea of Galilee. Tunnel to the water source. So go where, where the spring is. The advantage of that one is, when the Assyrians come, you can bury the outside of the spring so they can't get the water, and you can get the water from inside the city. But again, you still got the problem of hauling it. And a complex water tunnel. This one I'll talk about a little bit. I won't make it too complicated. In this one, they tunnel down and this may or may not be true, I'll come back to it. You see they got down to like seven? Then they didn't have to walk all the way down, but you still kind of, kind of, ladies had pretty good arm strength because you had to pull the buckets up. You could drop your bucket down and then pull the water up. There's some reason to think that they didn't actually do it this way in this particular case. Hole in the ground, tunnel to the water table, tunnel to the water source. This is an example of tunneling down, digging down to the water source. This is at Gibeon. People don't go there much anymore because it's in the West Bank. It's not a particularly friendly place. It may be the one mentioned where there was a battle between David's men and the, the adherents of Saul. <coughs> and you see it's, it's done kind of like a lighthouse. <coughs> Goes around, round, and you get down to the bottom, get the water, and of course, you've got to carry it back up. Is what? If they knew where the water table was at the end of the hill, they yes, I'm sure they dug dry wells. Like today, people come with dry wells. So this is some of our group going down. A small provincial city, that was Jerusalem. Jerusalem was about 20 acres at the start. And what's the problem they had at Jerusalem? You see that cave down at the bottom there? You can see that the water from the spring in peacetime, they can let the water all run out into the valley. And who's going to own all those gardens? The king. <laughs> the king, right? And you had to get the water from inside the city. And so they had a tunnel down to get to that water. And they came up with some 
fairly ingenious ways of doing this. <laughs> a cross-section of Warren Shaft. Warren is an explorer who came, and he said he, he explored all these tunnels in the 1800s. The water is down at the spring. He believed the tunnel went from down to five, and then it goes straight down, and they drop their buckets down. This would be complex. People think they didn't even know that number four was there. They didn't do this. They tunneled all the way to the spring. And I'll explain a little bit why they could come up with that idea. So this is today. By today, I mean 50 years ago. Now this is all a national park. It has nice little sidewalks and rose bushes and all that stuff. So you could enter where the green doors are. You could enter that, and that would be the spring. And you could see where the tunnels went up to the top. You had to go in an orange arrow down one way or another to get to the water. So here you see it in the old, the lower entrance and the upper entrance. So one idea was they tunneled down through that, and that worked for a while, but then they had to come up with something else. So the old theory went down to the blue line, dropped their buckets, brought the water up. Whoops, that was the wrong spot here, but moved. So you go to the entrance at the guy in spring. That was a little, an Arab guy had it. I think the National Park probably has taken eminent domain or something on all of it. You could go in there, the guy had a little stuff he sold you and that, you pay him a modest fee. And you could walk in and see it, you could walk through the tunnel. Now it's all very nice metal steps down and it's National Park eyes, it's not the way it used to be. Guyan Spring is the only spring they had. That's why they didn't build way up on the Temple Mount. They could, because they had, it was too far from the water. Later on, they were able to move up there. You could enter this, the entry, and climbers went over to where this water shaft is. And the reason it's important, it says that Joab, David's commander of mixed character somewhat, that he climbed up into the city. And they said, well, he, climbed, he knew how to get in. Somebody told him how to get in, and he could climb up that well shaft. So a, good, a strong climber, You've got to be able to brace yourself and go up like that. So a, a good rock climber or a good alpinist or something, yeah, they can do it. They can go in there, they can climb up, they get in the city, you open the gate, <coughs> it's all over for the Jebusites. So they entry and climb. So all, some years ago, they started excavating all the stuff on top. You get a job in archaeology, don't get one excavating in a water system, <laughs> especially in the summer. It's, get one on the beach. I always recommend getting one on the beach. This is now the way the top of it is. I'll just take a drink here. I got a little hay fever. You see the top of the tunnel, it appears that the floor level was up there. So at David's time, they didn't even know that that shaft was there. So they probably didn't use it. They probably had a tunnel 
all the way down. So the new theory, they didn't even know the, the shaft was there. It was a nice story, but maybe they didn't know it was there. Job still could have snuck in. They had a subway tunnel down to the pools, and a lot of excavation has been down. It's been done kind of in that lower red area of the places they caught the water and stuff. So the city with the temple up on the high ground, the spring tower protecting the guy in spring, and the pool, and so they could get that water into the city and they could keep the bad guys from getting it when they were under siege. So it used to be thought that there was only one wall, and this still is debated, but the idea now is that the spring actually was somewhat more enclosed. And you see David's palace would have been on what's called the stepstone structure and the temple higher up. The, the shaft is natural. You can see it's not man-made, it's natural. So they had to come up with a different plan when the Assyrians came. The Assyrians, of course, were not the best neighbors. So the water was coming out at A. They had built the wall further to the west. There's a valley just on the other side of the city. They wanted to get the water from A to B, which would be inside the wall. They had to figure out how to get the water from A to B. And they came up with quite a good plan. So they could just run the water in peacetime. But, is what? Okay. So they had to get a tunnel from the top end to the bottom end, and this would be inside the wall. And so, what was their problem? First problem was they didn't have time. They could tell the king of Assyria, we're not done with the water tunnel yet, you know, can you postpone your invasion for a couple years? <laughs> they didn't think they had the time, so they had to make the tunnel fast. Well, what did they do? Quite ingenious, actually. They wandered around all over the place. Instead of going straight, they went about 1,700 feet. You can see where they met. They were tunneling from both ends because they were in a hurry. And when they got closer, they could kind of hear where the other guys were, and they met up. Why didn't they go straight? It's easy to go straight. I'm in the tunnel. 25 feet out there, I put a stick. 50 feet out there, I put a stick. 100 feet out there, I put a stick. If the sticks stay in line, I'm going straight. If I can't see the sticks anymore, I'm not going straight. So it would be easy to dig straight. So why did they do this, and how did they meet in the middle? Quite ingenious in many ways. There's lots of caves in the area, and they realized there were a lot of caves there. There were caves at both ends, and they figured out if we can connect the caves, we may only have to excavate 20% of the stone. If we can follow and connect the caves, that will uh, get us out a lot more quickly. Karstic is a scientific name for this. There's water it kind of bursts out. So they, they knew there were caves. They tried to hide, had to find how to connect them. And of course, once they were connected, they did have to excavate some of the green stuff so that the water would flow properly. And when you go through this, it's called Hezekiah's Tunnel. You can walk through it. You can tell which parts are man-made. 
man-made, how much are you going to be, how big are you going to make it? You're going to make it as small as you can. And they were probably little guys. Uh, sometimes I have to duck. So it's square. You can see it's square and it's the size of a man. Then you'll be walking along and all of a sudden it's 20 feet tall. But you can see it's not cut. That's where the cave was that high. And they've had to lower the cave down. So you can tell the difference where it's man-made. And so they were quite clever the way they did it. You can go 1,700 feet through this. It's much more park now. Uh, you need some good water shoes. You need a flashlight or the Arab people there will rent you a candle for a nominal fee. And you can walk all the way through. It's very interesting. Here you can see it's higher than a person. You can see where it's partly natural. The interesting thing about the water is it has irregular flow. We were there once and the water was maybe third of the way up our thighs, I mean our calves. We took some people who were Wells members who taught at Technion and Haifa, we took them through, and the water was this steep. So you just don't know. Uh, you won't tell Irene on me, right? Yeah, okay. So we were going through and Irene wore, wore a sundress you know, down to her knees, and the water was <coughs> this deep. And so they kind of, she and the other girl had to kind of wave, th wave through. And I always call it, the, they've gone about as far as they could go in Kansas, <laughs> in Kansas City. Because the water, we were expecting the water to be mid-calf, and it was mid-thigh, so you don't quite know. You need some good water shoes or something also to go through. Interesting part is you can see where they were, there's an inscription there, and they could say, we can hear the guys on the other side. And so they, they were trying to figure out how we're going to get connected. We could, they can hear each other, and they're yelling. Finally, they could see the guys a little bit over there. And so they, that's why when they meet, they were pretty close. They weren't too far off, but they had to jiggle around in order to do what they wanted to. And then you come out 1,700 feet Later, that time when we went through, it's kind of sad. It shows how intense the hatred is. We wanted to take these people from Haifa through. They were actually from Cedarburg, Wisconsin. And we got there, and it was a Sabbath day. And we had gone through on the Sabbath before, so we knew it was no problem. So we got there, and we were looking at little things. And we just got there, and some Israeli teenagers came in. And they said, we want to go through the the tunnel, and uh, the Arab proprietor said, oh, I'm shocked and appalled. Today's the Sabbath day. I'm surprised you're desecrating the Sabbath. I wouldn't let people go through on the Sabbath. <coughs> you know, I, I respect the Sabbath here. I wouldn't let them go through. And so we were, they, of course, were disappointed. They'd come all the way from Haifa, and a little Arab boy comes over and he stands him and he says, don't leave yet, don't leave yet. As soon as the Jewish teenagers were gone, what happened? The tunnel was open. The tunnel was open. So when we got to the other end, we met them in the middle of the tunnel. So they had gone to the other end and climbed over the barbed wire fence <laughs> and were going through the other way. But it's kind of an amusing story, but it's kind of sad, isn't it? The, the intensity of the hatred. I wouldn't. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
in ancient times, uh, why did a lot of people die? Because the water wasn't always clean. Yeah. They didn't know that they had a boil at all the time. So waterborne diseases were a big part. I wouldn't drink it. They're herd, they're herd people. I mean, it isn't as positive as we think. They were herds people. You, don't tell Irene again, all right? <laughs> South Dakota is a big honey state. <laughs> they have a very dry summer, and it's actually quite good. So in dry climate, if you've got the, the blossoms, you can make the honey. You can have your herds. You've got to move your herds around. So you can have milk and honey, even under pretty dry conditions. So we use milk and honey as kind of this, you know, it's the, it's the ultimate of everything. It isn't quite that, necessarily. Uh-huh. In Israel? Yeah, they, they, there's professional apiaries in ancient times where they would, they'd use jars and they'd have, they'd all be a big sack, so they'd, they, they were, they gather wild honey, but they'd also, in a sense, cultivate it. So at Megiddo and Hazor, you have tunnels you can go through where they tunnel down to the water. Hazor is north of the Sea of Galilee, and this is the upper city. The entry, they put nice steps there so you don't have to go over the rough steps. You can go through an upper shaft. They start digging down to try to get to the water. Yeah, you know, I guess we're going to have to keep tunneling. So they have the square, and you can go down the steps. The steps are better than they used to be. This is a little bit older picture. See, they have a nice net down there in case rocks fall down, or some idiot drops a rock. You can't get hit with the rocks. And then you get down to the bottom of the square, and they couldn't dig down that big anymore, so they started angling and trying to figure, well, we'll hit the, we'll hit the water. And you can go through these tunnels. Hatsor and Megiddo are the two places you can do that. So there's the staircase. Then there's what I'll call the descender. And then finally, they get down about to the water table, and then it runs flat. Was it essentially chiseling that they were doing in order to get the... Yeah. The rock isn't real hard. In Hatsor, where there's volcanic rock, basalt is harder. But the limestone isn't particularly hard. So there's two main places where you can go through these tunnels. Water collection. Boy, I don't like hauling that water up all the time. I can't get the water right here. Cistern. A cistern is a pool. The difference, I would say, a cistern usually is covered. My grandfather's farmhouse still had a cistern. I don't think they drank it, but they used it for other purposes. And so you run the water into it. So when it rains, you run all the spring rain into the cistern. Cistern is usually covered, so it won't evaporate. Pools, pools is not a very good name. Ac- uh, reservoir would be better. When we think of pool, we think of a swimming pool or something. Some of these are like 50 feet deep. So pool is a little bit misleading. Or aqueducts, that wasn't done until Roman times. You can bring the water from the mountains. Eventually to Jerusalem, Herod had an aqueduct to Caesarea, where Paul was a prisoner. What they make the cisterns out of? They just cut them into the, the limestone. That's why, yeah, 
Yeah, yeah. They 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 would uh, cut them out. And why didn't they do that and and build a temple up there earlier? They couldn't waterproof the cisterns well enough. They, they lost too much water because of the limestone. As they learned to plaster lime plaster better. Then they could plaster the cistern so they could go up on the Temple Mount and you'd save all the, you'd run all the February rain into these cisterns up on top. So you didn't have to go way down to get it. And so you tried to save it up. So the lime, the lime plaster helped them do it. Cut away of a cistern. The main reason the stones are kind of fixed there a little bit is so it doesn't fall on your head. This is a city, if you build a city on the cliff, what happens if you build your house by Lake Michigan? It might fall in, yeah. And so a lot of times you can kind of see a cross-section of some of these cities. Like this is Ashkelon because the cliff has come down. And so this was a full round cistern. And you can see they've sort of, it's made a nice picture out of it. <laughs> Nobody was using it anymore, so I suppose they didn't care. It's nice for the tourists to look at. You can descend down into the cistern. Who spent some time in a cistern? Jeremiah. Jeremiah, remember, <laughs> tossed him in. And there was, still, there, was enough, there was still wet enough, there was mud in the bottom. He sunk down into the mud. So they threw Jeremiah into the cistern. So cisterns could be very, very big. You could have a little one in your house. The king might even say, if they were expecting a war, I'm requiring everybody to build a cistern in their house. I'm not going to give you any water. If you don't make your own water supply, tough luck. Not my problem. And so... The cisterns can be community and they can be very big and you want them covered so that it doesn't evaporate as much and you want it as, you don't want it to lose too much water. Going down into a cistern, see they're pretty big. Sometimes they could be partly caves. You want a lot more? So it would be full. At the end of the rainy season, the cistern would be full. Herod had a palace way up on top of Masada. No water up there. I think it was water down below. He did have a cistern because the flat part, they could save all the rainwater and run it all into the cisterns. He didn't have the problem that some people did. If they ran out of water in the cisterns, what did they do? He had plenty of slaves. He said, I, at the end of the day, I expect five feet of water <coughs> in my cistern. And it's not going to be good if there isn't. <coughs> Whoops. So basically the light, the water doesn't come in there anymore? Is, is what? I, I, think that, I think now they don't let the water go in. They save it probably for the bathrooms. And down below, you know, there's a visitor center and stuff like that. So, I mean, they have to have water fountains and stuff up there for the tourists because it's very hot. But I think that water is probably piped in. I briefly showed you the pool of Bethesda, the, really the reservoirs of Bethesda, just north of the Temple Mount. And it always puzzled people. It said there were five porches They realized there were two pools. So why would you have five porches? Well, perimeter and between the two pools. This is incidentally the model. 
at the Israel Museum is where the model is now. It's maybe like the size of this room. It's a really great model of Jerusalem. You can kind of tell there's different pictures from different times in some of my things. Sometimes the roofs are red, which is what they were, red tile. And then sometimes they aren't because they haven't painted it for 10 years. And then they're red again. But the model is very nice. Notice the depth. I should have given you a little closer one. This picture over here, you see by, by the one red arrow there at the top, you see the guys there. And so you see how deep the pool is compared to the guys. So why did the poor crippled man have a problem? Well, if you wanted to jump in the water in the winter, the water was 35 feet deep. <clears throat> if he wanted to jump in the water in the summer, he had to go down 30 feet of steps to get to the water. <clears throat> and so he had a problem. There's a story of an angel stirring it that is in some of the biblical texts, not in others. The reason the pillars are there in the Christian period, they built a church over the top of this. And the church is now gone. But those pillars supported the church. So the church was partly over each pool. So these are the pools of Bethesda. The pool of Siloam. Here they had it easy. Siloam is at the bottom of the valley. That's where Hezekiah's tunnel came out. All the water running down that valley could be run into the pool. And it would augment, add to the water coming from the spring. And so now people say there are two pools of Siloam. I think this was Jesus' pool of Siloam. And down below there was a flat spot where they found another pool, and I think that was like an overflow one. I already asked last week, why did Jesus go to the pools? That's where the people were. On work days, that's where you'd find the people. So he went to the pools. This is an artist's impression, of course. It doesn't survive anymore. Well, it's just a hole in the ground. The pool of Bethesda. The building is gone. There's no building there. Huh? Yeah. But the model is based on the archaeology. So what would you expect to find here? You'd find the foundations. You wouldn't find the building. We know what the buildings look like from descriptions in Josephus and other places. This is what the buildings look like. There's nothing really left of the buildings. What they'd want at the end, of course, was a dam to catch any other water. If they couldn't fit it all in the Siloam pool, and they would have a reservoir. And this was kind of hypothetical. It made sense, but did they actually do it? This is how it looked when we lived there. A smart guy had built his garden there because you got to the end of the runoff water. When they started excavating, they realized there was a pool underneath this. There had been a pool there in ancient times. And the pool, of course, is gone. They find, like a lot of things they find by accident, they were working on that pipe, <coughs> and they found there was an aqueduct and a pool there. And they said, well, I guess we have to move the water pipe. This is an impression of the pool. I don't think it's very good. There are steps. Again, why steps? 
because the lady comes to get water in March, all she's got to do is dip it. She comes to get water in July, she's got to go down the steps and lug it back up the steps. What's wrong with this is they've shown a nice picture of the pool, but it's out in the country. It wouldn't be out in the country. There'd be some sort of porch. You wanted shade and stuff. You didn't want to be in the sun if you were sitting around to catch up on the local news. A surviving pool. The steeple there is the Lutheran Church, built by Kaiser Bill of World War I fame. He came to Jerusalem. The Germans were fighting against the British and French for influence. The British won. <laughs> Kaiser Bill was the protector of the German church there. So he came and built this church. It's quite a nice church. It's an Arab Christian church. And there is one place in Jerusalem. I'm not sure what's there now. I told you not to tell anything about Irene before. You, you're, not going to tell, you're not going to tell anything about me either, right? <laughs> if you know where to go, there's these markets and they have the roofs. You can walk on top of the roofs across the city. I didn't even, I never saw a sign that said, Ain, don't do it. <laughs> so we'll walk on the roofs until they tell us you can't walk on the roofs. So walking on the roofs of the city, you see the Holy Sepulchre Church, the dome there is Christ's tomb. And the tower is the, it was the German church, Erlaserkirche, Redeemer Church. Kaiser Bill came actually to Jerusalem. This was, of course, obviously before World War I. He came to dedicate the, the church. And one of the gates of Jerusalem, the Jaffa Gate, there's no top to it. They took the top off so Kaiser Bill, could, his car could drive him fairly close to the church for the dedication. So then the British, of course, drove the Turks out, Lawrence and Arabia, you know, and all that stuff. So when the British general came, he came by car too. And the British, of course, were always good at one-upmanship. So he signaled his driver, stopped probably five feet short of the gate or something. And he said, well, if the Lord could walk into Jerusalem, I too should walk into Jerusalem. So he got out of his car. They had photographers already then, probably a photo op. You know. So unlike the terrible Kaiser Bill, the barbarian, the nice British general, imitates the Lord's humility, and walks into Jerusalem as they are preparing to take it over and make it a British possession. <laughs> Aqueducts, they can be high, they can be low. It's called Solomon's Pool near Bethlehem. It's much later. There were not aqueducts until New Testament times. The Romans were the ones that really developed that. So you can run water. They need a lot of water in Herod's temple. You can run it from Bethlehem to the temple. You need a few aqueducts. But usually aqueducts, if you're going to go 10 miles, you probably go 20, because you've got to follow all over the terrain. At Caesarea, this is an old picture, probably much more urban sprawl. This is where it's kind of like Malibu Beach or something like that now, the well-to-do. You can see the lines of two aqueducts that come to here at Caesarea. They come from Mount Carmel. The straight one is the later one, the one that kind of wanders around, that's Herod's. There are still remnants of it. Very nice, I mentioned before, because on the beach, you don't have to take your beach umbrella or anything. It's not the best sandy beach in the world, but it's okay, it's not bad. So you can just set up, you know, you get there early enough and you get one of the arches and you have your ready-made thing. 
you can walk on top of the aqueduct, at least you used to be able to. That's some of our guys on top. The orange hat, I think, is John Lorenz. Some of you might know him. So it has survived, but this is later than the one that was there at the time of Paul. Some places it's covered. And it can be pipes, different kinds of aqueducts. If you're working down there, you've got to be able to breathe. So every so often, you can kind of follow the aqueduct because you can, you can follow the breathing holes because they need some air down there. For running the piping. Siphons. We don't know if they had a siphon at Jerusalem. They might have. What is a siphon? Well, people don't siphon gas anymore. They say it's not safe. You know, you can, you can, and then it will run. That's what a siphon is. That's the principle. So it would be really expensive to build the bridge for the aqueduct all the way to the top of the thing. You don't have to build the bridge to the top. You have to figure out you're going to lose a little bit on the downhill. So the water runs downhill. It's got to be airtight. And then the pressure of the water, say, it pushes the water up the other half. So you see the hill on this side is a little bit lower. And so you don't have to build such a big bridge. You can let the siphoning save you probably 70% of the cost of doing the bridge. But those got to be closed, siphons. You can't. The water would shoot off the top if there were leaks. I'll just close with baths. The rich and well-to-do had, of course, baths in their house, like you see in the different places. This is one of Herod's at Masada. But there also were public baths. By and large, it would appear the Jews, unless they were becoming assimilated to the Greeks, didn't use the bath. They were in the Gentile cities, the bath. But they had baths. This is Herod's bathtub at Masada. Another one of the baths. This one may have been for a ceremonial purification. Replastered. Jewish ritual mikvah is a bath where you can get ceremonial cleanness. You, you know, you go in one way, you usually go in, in steps, and you go out. You have to go in. And it's kind, it's, it's kind of like a baptism, but very different, because you've got to do it every time for the particular rite you have. Whoops. And I'll just close with an example of the bath. Hamat Gadar is near the Sea of Galilee. What they really liked, of course, were hot springs, so you could have the hot and the cold, and they didn't have to heat the water. So in volcanic areas, they could often get springs. Like in Iceland, there's lots of these. This is the one at Hamad Gadar, the ruins. You didn't have to worry about getting cold feet. The floors were heated. So over the top of all these posts, there was a floor. And so they would run hot water under the floor so the poor nobles didn't have to get their feet cold. <coughs> when they were in there. So they had heated floors in their bathrooms. By and large, most of the Jews did not use these. But you can go there today, of course. I don't know what the price is. This is an older picture. And they'll run the water into a nice pool for you and make sure it's clean and everything. So this is right on the southeast corner of the Sea of Galilee. It's called Hamat 
Gadar. So those are some of the main ways in which they um, dealt with the water system. So if you have any questions, that kind of brings us to our conclusion. Mount Hermon, 9,000 feet. Most of the mountains in Israel are 2,500 to 3,000 feet. Galilee, the highest ones are a little bit over 3,000. So Mount Hermon is three times higher than any other. Huh? It is now. <laughs> There's a difference of opinion of whether it's in Israel or whether it isn't. It's kind of attached to the goal on heights, and Israel is not about to give the goal on heights back because that's where they launched at. No, it's northeast. So the Golan Heights were under Syrian control until 1967. There was one time when they told Syria, and they told Jordan the same thing, stay out of the war and we won't bother you. And they said, no can do. And so Israel was really on the ropes, but they quickly recovered the Golan Heights. Their tanks were, they had to truck their tanks all in, and the Syrians had like, four times as many tanks as they were, and if they would have overrun the Golan Heights, they could have uh, taken all of Galilee. And so Israel managed to hold out until, you know, everybody's in the National Guard there, until all the National Guard guys that are tank guys get there with their tanks. We got to hold out till they get there. The Assyrians eventually lost almost all their tanks, but they had destroyed four Israeli tanks, they outnumbered them four to one. <laughs> Why didn't they quickly take Galilee? You can believe this or not, but this is the, the patriotic legend has grown up. There was a tank guy, we'll call him Chaim, and Yoel had three tanks left and only two of them could move. So uh, Chaim would radio Yoel, take 15 of your tanks, and move them one mile down the road to the crossroad, you know. Take another 25 of your tanks and take them three miles north to this intersection. Well, he only had three tanks. <laughs> but the Syrians didn't necessarily know that <laughs> at the point. And so at least that's the story the Israelis tell of how they managed to save the Golan. And I could believe it because they're pretty c clever militarily and that they, they were in a hopeless position as far as the number of tanks they had left. I mean, some of them could shoot, but they couldn't move. But they managed to save the Golan Heights. And they, I can't imagine that they will ever give them back because it's such a commanding height, it controls all of Galilee from up there. Nowadays, with long-range missiles, it doesn't matter as much. So that's the Golan Heights is the name of it today. It's called Gaulanitis in the Bible. So that brings us to our conclusion. Any last questions? What time is it? Okay, that's about what our target was. Any last question? Well, if you have a last question, I have to pack my gear up here. You can come up and uh, talk to me while I do it. So we'll close with a prayer. We thank you, Lord, that you passed the gospel through many centuries so it could come to us. And in, in various ways, in difficulties and in good times, you provided for your people Israel so the gospel could be passed on. Help us appreciate their lives, but more than that, appreciate all you did to get them through all the hardships of weather and climate and enemies so the gospel could be passed on to us. Amen. Okay, thank you. <clears throat> yeah.